0: You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now step into the arena of ideas with your host, Dr. Brian Shelton, Coming to you from the mystic, majestic mountains of northwestern North Carolina... This is the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. And my name is Dr. Brian Shulton. I'll be your host for the next thirty minutes to an hour that we have together. And um, hope you're doing well wherever you may be. If you're revisiting us, uh, or a subscriber, or uh, Current listener of the Bellator Christie Podcast, we welcome you back. If you're new to the podcast, uh, we cover a wide range of topics uh, on the Bellator Christie Podcast, ranging from uh, theology, uh, apologetics, defending the faith, uh, from biblical and historical studies, and a whole lot more, philosophical issues, and a whole lot more. So, uh, we cover some of the things that aren't normally uh, covered in Sunday morning worship services because quite frankly sometimes we just don't have time to get into some of these deeper level issues so if you've ever had questions or ever wondered about uh, some of these deep deeper level issues in scripture this is the podcast for you and so we're so grateful and thankful uh, that you've joined us this evening if you're catching the live show, uh, you can also catch uh, the recorded episodes of the Bellator Christie podcast over, and, and really the, in the live stream as well, over at youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. And you can catch the audio version of this podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and really anywhere uh, that podcasts are found. Uh, we are—it's hard to believe—we are already midway through the month of October, and we're all already midway through our series in Bibliology. Uh, in fact, in November, we've got some incredible uh, podcasts coming your way. We'll discuss that as we get closer uh, to the to the beginning of November. But coming up next week, I want to let you know about a couple of podcasts coming up, because next week, October 26th, the day after my birthday, we have another doubleheader coming your way, and this is going to be great. We're going to talk about biblical inerrancy with our own Dr. T.J. Gentry. He's one of our associate vice presidents at Bellator Christie. And then following that episode, we'll cap it off with our second second part of our double header. With another episode of the Question Zone with our own cowboy apologist Curtis Evalo, and folks, the first episode of the Question Zone was fantastic, and uh, I'm I'm chomping at the bit to see what we'll be discussing on on the next week's show. So it's going to be great. So be sure to tune in uh, next week for a double header one with Dr. T. J. Gentry on biblical inerrancy, and the other with Curtis Evalo, our cowboy apologist, uh, on the on a second episode of the Question Zone. I also want to let you know about a new series coming out uh, on on the website at bellatorchristi.com. This web this ministry is brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. We have uh, a bunch of wonderful scholarly writers, and um, just uh, just blessed to be part of this ministry that God has uh, led us to have. But coming out on Fridays, uh, I'm not sure how long this will go, and I, I don't, I doubt that I'll be able to do it every week. But I going to have a new series called Lessons from the Summa. And um, I want to see if I have a copy of it here. No, I think it's over on the other desk. Well, I'm just not going to worry about it. But anyhow, I was blessed to pick up a, a copy, a two-volume, which is really could be multiple volumes and other sets, of the Summa Theologica. This is the magnum opus of the great... Um, Great medieval uh, theologian philosopher known as Thomas Aquinas And as I've been going through the Summa I've picked up some valuable lessons Not only apologetically uh, Dealing with the the defense for the faith Because a lot of times, in times past I had really went to the Summa for, uh, for information on how to defend the existence of God But what I found in the Summa Theologia is a deep treasure trove of wonderful spiritual, theological, philosophical issues, the depths of which are far deeper than I've ever explored uh, on certain theological issues before. And so what I want to share with you in this written series uh, is some reflections and lessons I've learned as I've gone through the Summa. My plan is to read the entire Summa Theologica. Uh, now, I'm still in the first volume. It's dense, heavy reading, and so it's going to probably take me a while to get through it. But as I go through this the Summa, I want to share some reflections and insights that I've gained uh, through through the lessons I've learned through the Summa Theologica. So be looking for that, and that will only be found at bellatorchristy.com. And it'll be posted on Fridays uh, at bellatorchristy.com. And look for it. It's called Summa uh, Lessons from the Summa. And coming up tomorrow on the uh, on the released, uh, the newly published uh, article coming out on October twentieth, uh, we're going to discuss the five notions of God. And that was something that was new for me, very simple to understand, uh, but but really deep in its application. So be looking for that coming out tomorrow. Uh, should be releasing tomorrow at 8 a.m. only at bellatorchristy.com Well, tonight we want to look at a very in, in interesting topic and one that is very important as well. And... Um, as we've gone through this episode uh, Gone through this series It's dawned on me about how important it is For us to have a firm foundation in the Word of God Now I posted I created a firestorm on social media With some posts Some people agreed Some people disagreed With some of the some of the memes I shared And that's fine That's the wonderful thing about social media We can have these disagreements uh, And we really sometimes learn more through our disagreements Although As uh <laughs> <laughs> my good friend Emmanuel Boglio says, it seems like for some reason my posts get more pushback. May I don't know why, but be that as it may, uh, it did have some good things there. But I still firmly stand by the notion that the Bible is the Word of God. And if the Bible is the Word of God, uh, the author being God and the message it presents should take center stage In our worship services, it shouldn't be about the fluff. It shouldn't be about the stuff about church that brings us to God's house. It should be about learning and developing and growing in our spiritual awareness, in our spiritual disciplines, and in our devotion to the Lord. Because quite frankly, that's what it's all about. Jesus was a rabbi, meaning Jesus was a teacher. He preached messages. He gave lessons. Uh, That is what he did. And so, that's why we should take a great interest in, in the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Uh, so, why is that important? Well, I just bring to notion, bring to mind, the whole aspect of biblical inspiration. So, I want to ask a few questions tonight. First of all, what do we mean by biblical inspiration? That will be the first thing we talk about. Secondly, we're going to ask the question, what does Theonoustos mean? And then from there, we're going to ask the question, what do the biblical writers say about the inspiration of Scripture? We'll give about four lessons that are found there, and we'll read some scripture together. And uh, then we're going to ask the question, is there or are there any good analogies to understand biblical inspiration? And here we go back to the Summa to find a really good explanation, uh, a really good analogy of how we can understand biblical inspiration. So uh, this is going to be some of the things that we're going to discuss tonight. And again, we're so glad that you're with us and hope you receive a blessing from Uh, the podcast tonight. So I'm going to get some uh, scripture ready here for us. Whenever we get ready, let me open this up. It's ready to go. So whenever we get to the scripture, we'll be ready to go with that. So first of all, let's, let's ask the first question. What do we mean by biblical inspiration? What do we mean by biblical inspiration? By biblical inspiration, we mean to say that God inspired the writers of Scripture to accurately convey His message and all that it says, while also permitting the writers to incorporate their own words, styles, and personalities when fleshing out the text. As such, the Bible is the ultimate rule and guide for the Christian faith. This corroborates with what Dr. Deanna Huff said just last week uh, when she defended the verbal plenary theory of biblical inspiration in that God guides and directs the writing of Scripture, but He also permits the biblical writers to interject their own words and styles in God's own revelation. The late great Dr. Norman Geisler offers the following definition for biblical inspiration and is probably uh, one of the best definitions ever given. He writes in his book, Systematic Theology, Introduction Bible, that inspiration is the supernatural operation of the Holy Spirit, who through the different personalities and literary styles of the chosen human authors invested the very words of the original books of Holy Scripture alone and in their entirety, as the very Word of God, without error in all that they teach or imply, including history and science, and the Bible is thereby the infallible rule and final authority for faith and practice of all believers." End of quote. When considering the nature of biblical inspiration, it's important to remember the three I's, inspiration, infallibility, and inerrancy. Now, as already noted, biblical inspiration speaks of God's guidance and direction of biblical texts and the thoughts presented therein. Biblical infallibility means that the Bible is trustworthy in what it says concerning matters of God, faith, and salvation. It does not necessarily speak to historical events per se, but it rather speaks to the spiritual and theological principles found in the text. Now, from there, we move to the harder uh, or, or the, the, the more fleshed-out version, and that would be what's called biblical inerrancy. Biblical inerrancy takes into account the trustworthiness of Scripture to another level. Inerritance, ineritance ineritists. Guess that's how you say those who hold a biblical inerrancy. Let's just say it that way. Hold that the Bible contains no errors whatsoever. Thus, the Bible is true in everything that it says, historically, theologically, scientifically, and philosophically. Even still, inerratists maintain that the biblical autographs are inerrant, not translations of the autographs. Now, let me just speak an additional word here to this point. We must understand that when we talk about the Bible, as we, we gave that, that uh, episode what, about a month or two ago about what is the Bible, it was a very simple, elementary episode. It spoke about who wrote the Bible, how many writers, how long it took, about 2,000 years, so long, you know, so to speak. Even still, the last book was written 2,000 years from now, from where we, we live in 2023. But understand it was written in a different time, a different place, in a different language than what most of us uh, live in today, or have today. You understand, first century Israel is a far cry from the 21st century in southwestern, uh, or excuse me, southeastern, the southeastern United States, here in northwestern North Carolina. Um, it's a different language, different technology, different ways of living, you may say. Now, people haven't changed. God hasn't changed. But all these cultural things about us have. Okay? So understand that. All these cultural things about us have. So, and understand this. The English language did not come about until about a 1,000 A.D. That was about at least, what, 900 years, uh, 900 to a 1,000 years after... Uh, the New Testament was completed. okay, And even still, it was a mishmash. English was a mishmash of all these different languages, these Germanic languages that came to be. So we cannot expect for an English translation to be absolutely fail-proof. Understand that. So when we talk about biblical inerrancy, and I accept the Chicago Statement of Biblical Inerrancy. Let me go ahead and say that right now. When we talk about biblical inerrancy... We're not saying that translations are perfect. We're saying that what's inerrant are the autographs or the collaboration of the autographs of the biblical manuscripts. Now, when we come to November, uh, uh, Benjamin Laird is going to be with us, and he's got some wonderful insights Uh, he's going to talk about in his book, Creating the Canon. And he talks about a community of people that were involved. And maybe not just one autograph, but a community of autographs that were developed whenever the the Bible was, uh, whenever these New Testament texts were written. Interesting concept. Well, we'll talk about that and what implication that may have coming up in November. But understand this. Biblical inerrantists do not say that translations are perfect or inerrant. They say that the autographs, the finished product, written by the apostles, priests, kings, uh, that they were inerrant. So that, that ha- we have to understand that. So what do we mean by Theonoustos? Well, in 2 Timothy 3.16, uh, Paul uses the word Theonoustos when he says that the Bible is inspired by God. The word in Greek translated as inspired is the term Theonoustos. It literally means God breathed. B.B. Warfield in 1900 Uh, argued that theonoustos is a passive word in 2 Timothy 3.16, meaning that God did not breathe through Scripture, and the Scripture did not breathe out God. Rather, God breathed out Scripture himself. Therefore, the writing, the composition, and the formulation of the biblical canon was a divine act. Scripture is not only inspiring, Scripture is a divine product that flowed from the Almighty God Himself. And so if this is true, then it behooves the Christian to take seriously the truths of Scripture and to accurately interpret them as best they can. For the life of me, I do not see how a biblical-based Christian could be against biblical education, biblical training, biblical formation. Uh, uh, form The spiritual formation in the Word of God Especially seeing how valuable it is For us to accurately handle and interpret Scripture as, as this is the lifeblood for the believer Prayer is the lifeblood of the believer But growing in the Word of God Is so critically important for us as believers As we are disciples, that is, students of Christ Himself So what do the biblical writers say about the inspiration of the Bible? So here I want to pull up uh, some some passages of Scripture for us. And let me see about sharing my screen uh, to do just that. Um, Let's see if I can pull it up. And where did it go? It's wanting to be... Okay, so well, that is the Summa Theologica. That is not going to help me here. <laughs> let me see if it will let me pull up the Bible from here. There we go. Okay, there we go. So this should be showing us uh, the Scripture now. Um, it should be showing us... The scripture now, so let, let's take a look at Second Timothy three 2 Timothy three 2 Timothy three sixteen. 2 Timothy 3, 16. 2 Timothy 3, 16. And this, this is a passage of Scripture we've read before on the podcast, but it behooves us to read it again. It says, All Scripture is inspired, theonoustos is the word there, theonoustos, inspired by God, and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So. What this says to us is that all of Scripture, not just a part of Scripture, but all of Scripture is inspired by God. Theonoustos. Now, of course, when Paul was writing this in the first century, he's of course talking about the Hebrew Scriptures because the New Testament canon had not been completed by that time. But us as Bible-believing Christians, we accept that the New Testament is also inspired by God. We believe that it is also breathed out by God. So when we talk Talk about for us as New Testament Christians uh, in living in the New Covenant, when we say all Scripture, that includes all 66 books of the biblical canon. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and God gave us His revelation uh, to teach us, to rebuke us. Sometimes it's important for the Word of God to step on our toes, so to speak, uh, to, to correct us. To, to train us how to live in righteousness because if this is the Word of God, then that means that it came from God and that means it behooves us as believers to learn what God is trying to tell us. And, additionally, furthermore, that we would be equipped equipped for every good work. That we would be equipped for every good work, so so this tells us one thing. We we see four things that this tells us about the inspiration of Scripture. Uh, first thing we see is that biblical inspiration requires the act of God, uh, the act of being of Scripture being God breathed. So if Scripture is God breathed, that means that it has been inspired. That, or to use a term that uh, Thomas Aquinas uses, it, it has been spirated by God. It has been sent from God through the Holy Spirit, through prophets, priests, kings, and through the apostles, and so what have you, uh, so that this word is brought to us, this revelation is brought to us, so that we can know how we should live lives that would truly be honoring to God. Now, if this is true, then this means that this 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 Bible should be our manual for life because this is God's gift to us. It's his revelation written down and preserved. And folks, I would say the amazing thing about this, if you look at history, is not just that we have the biblical canon, but that it has that, that we still have it in 2023. Guys like William Tyndale and other individuals who try to translate scripture in years gone by died at the stake. Some were burned alive. When you think about how the Romans were coming in in the first, second century, they would try to get uh, Christian books and burn them and, and so that they would eradicate the Christian faith. It's amazing to stop and consider. That we still have a copy of God's word today. You see, God inspired Scripture, he, uh, he, he placed it, composed it, put it together, but He's also preserved it for us and for all generations. Now this not only tells us that biblical inspiration requires the act of being God breathed, but we also see that biblical inspiration includes human agency. Now let's look here at first excuse me, second Peter one twenty one. 2 Peter 1 21. Let's see if I can pull this up. The Word of God says, let's back this up a little bit. Peter writes, above all, you know this no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God carries people along. The the Spirit of God speaks through individuals. Uh, The prophecy did not come by the will of man, but it included, amazingly to consider, it included the personalities of these individuals who wrote the Scripture, who put it in their own language. It's amazing to stop and consider how God used human agents to speak through. Uh, God could have written the whole thing Himself if He so cho- chose to do so, but no, He chose human agents to use to bring forth His written word. Now we also see in Second Samuel twenty-three 2-4. two through four. Second Samuel twenty-three two through four. Let's bring this up. Second Samuel twenty-three two through four. And this, these were the last words of David. It says, The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, The one who rules the people with justice, who rules in the fear of the Lord, is like the morning light when the sun rises on a cloudless morning, and the glisten of rain on sprouting grass. But here, notice that the Spirit spoke through David. The Spirit of God spoke through individuals. And that's so important to, to recognize. God uses human agents to bring forth His Word. Now, the third thing it tells us is that biblical inspiration imparts divine authority. Now, let's take a look at Exodus 24.4. Exodus 24.4. It says this, Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances, and all the people responded with a single voice, We will do everything that the Lord has commanded. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early the next morning and set up an altar and twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel at the base of the mountain. Now notice what happened here. The people didn't say that God will do what we want Him to do. No, He said, We will do everything that the Lord has commanded. If the Bible is the revelation of God, spoken through human agents, given to us, that means this is the the Word of God. This means that this book has divine authority. That means that, that we should strive to understand what the Scripture says and properly apply it. In our lives, so that we can live in accordance with what God would have us to do, rather than treating God like He's a genie in a bottle who'll come out and wish it and grant us all these wishes and put on a show for us and do everything that we want God to do. If that's the way you think about God, then you're going to be sorely disappointed because we serve Him, God does not serve us. We serve God, not the other way around. I mean, for heaven's sakes, God, to do, God could do everything. He, he could evangelize. He could witness. He could do everything without using human agents. But He chooses to use us. And what an amazing thing it is to consider that God chooses to use us. Now, we also see Psalm 138 verse 2 says this. Psalm 138 verse 2. Verse 2 says this, I will bow down, and this is of David, I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your constant love and truth. You have exalted your name uh, and your promise above everything else. So here again, just an example of how David bowed down toward before the Lord and was willing to serve him, not the other way around. And that is so important for us to understand, we serve God, God does not serve us. Uh, let's take a look at one more passage of Scripture here, Psalm 119, 89. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 89. Psalmist writes, Lord, your word is forever and is firmly fixed in heaven. Your faithfulness is for all generations. You establish the earth and it stands firm. Your judgments stand firm today, for all things are your servants. If your instruction had not been my delight, I would have died in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for you have given me life through them. Again, God your word, the Lord's word is forever. The Lord's word is firmly fixed in heaven. The Lord's word, the Lord's revelation, the Lord's command, the Lord's principles, the Lord's precepts, these things are what remain forever. So there again, if the Bible is the word of God, if the Bible is the revelation of the Lord, then it behooves us to study the word of God. We're exhorted to, to, to live in accordance with biblical principles and with what God, and according to the calling uh, that God has placed upon our lives. Now, we also see the final thing we'll mention here tonight uh, concerning uh, the, the principles we learn about biblical inspiration, and that, that's this. Biblical inspiration rebukes humans' insubordination. What's insubordination? It's when we try to um, usurp the authority of one higher than ourselves. Now let's take a look at what Jesus has to say about this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Matthew 5, 18. Jesus says this, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, not one iota, <laughs> it's the smallest, either it's the smallest letter of the Greek alphabet. Not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands Will be called great in the kingdom of heaven For I tell you Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees You will never get into the kingdom of heaven Why is that? Because the scribes and Pharisees of that day and time Not all of them But, but a, a good number of them Placed their faith in what they can do Rather than what God can, had, and will do for them You see, they had placed their, their, their faith, some had, not all, had placed their faith in their own traditions, and their own oral laws, rather than the law of God. Now, folks, let's be honest here. How often does this happen to us as well? We, it's, it's easy for us to quickly blame the Pharisees and scribes for doing this, but <laughs> do we not do the same thing too? Stop and think about it. Often we do. Matthew 15:3 through 6. Let's take a look at that. Matthew 15:3 through 6. Matthew 15 3-6 through says this, Jesus answered them, Why do you break God's commandment? Because of your tradition. You see, Jesus didn't come to break the law of God. He didn't come to to, to uh, uh, usurp the law of God, the commandments of God. He came to preach the word of God. And, to, and it, a lot of his preaching was against the oral traditions that the people had established for themselves. He says, Why do you break God's commandment? Because of your tradition. For God said, Who honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother will be put to death. But you say, Whoever tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me as a gift committed to the temple, he does not have to honor his father. In this way, you have nullified the word of God because of your tradition. Hypocrites! Jesus says, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, The people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Here again, the problem they had was that they placed their human traditions over the authority of God's Word. And friends, we may not want to hear it, but it is true. And listen, folks, People can get mad at me. They can get upset with me. Whatever they want to do. But we must stand on the authority of God's word. Not that we make the Bible our, an idol to worship. We worship the object that the, the person of whom brought us the Bible, which is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We worship the triune God, the God of the cosmos, the God of all creation, but this God who spoke and gave us his words and this collection we know, know as the Holy Bible. May we not allow our own traditions to usurp the authority of God's law, to usurp the authority of God's commands. And I fear, so often it's the case, that we have done just that. And for those who who followed those posts on social media today, that was the intent and the meaning behind them. We must not allow other things to detract and derail our focus away from God. Now, certainly... Music and, and, and all these other things. Um, they can add to the worship experience and there's nothing wrong with, with that. But at the end of the day, we need to be focused on God and we need to be focused on His Word and allow that to take precedent in our lives and not all these other whims and fancies that we place so much emphasis on. So, let me close with this. Have one more question to ask. Well, let me just say this before I close out this section. Augustine aptly put it like this in his in his letter, uh, a book called Against Faustus, he writes um, in eleven dot eleven dot five if we are perplexed by any apparent contradiction in scripture. It is not allowable to say the author of this book is mistaken. But either the manuscript is faulty or the translation is wrong or you have not understood. So often it's the case that if we see a uh, an apparent contradiction in Scripture that we want to lay blame and we want to automatically say the Bible is wrong or the authors of Scripture must be wrong. But maybe, just maybe, the problem is with our understanding. The, pro- the problem is with our interpretation rather than the problem being with Scripture itself. So let me close with this. And I'll stop sharing my screen here. Uh, let, let me, let's let ask one last question. Is there a good, a good analogy to understand biblical inspiration? Well, in his systematic theology series, the late, great Dr. Norman Geisler offers some illustrations on how we can best understand biblical inspiration. He dissuades us from using a couple of them. And the first, this is actually one that I hate to say it. I'll slap myself on the hand. I've used this illustration before, and it's not really a good one. It's it's the illustration or the analogy of a secretary. The secretary analogy sees God as dictating the words of Scripture to a transcriptionist who writes down every word that he says. And while this analogy holds some value, it ultimately fails because it causes scripture to be seen in the light of the dictation model, uh, which removes the human influence in the composition of scripture. You know, it m- removes to a degree the style, the variations, the personality that we see in scripture. Another bad model is called the musical instrument view. In this illustration, the writers of scripture were like, musical, like a musical instrument that played only the notes that God directed. However, this analogy is even worse than the secretary view as it completely removes human freedom in the process. A better analogy is called the conductor view, first given by Lewis Galson in his book Theonusia. Gawson likens the inspiration of scripture to a conductor of an orchestra who guides the musicians to play their instruments using their own style and ability to make beautiful music together. But I would ultimately agree with Geisler that the best analogy was given by Thomas Aquinas. (laughs) Fancy that. One that recalls the relationship between a teacher and a student. The teacher guides the student in truth and guides him or her to write in truth while preserving their own identity in the process. Aquinas writes in the Summa Theologica, uh, second part of the second uh, volume, uh, in question 171, Article 6, As may be gathered from what has been said, prophecy is a kind of knowledge impressed under the form of teaching on the prophet's intellect by divine revelation. Now, the truth of knowledge is the same in uh, disciple and teacher, since the knowledge of the disciple is a likeness of the knowledge of the teacher. Even as in natural things the form of the thing generated is a likeness of the form of the generator. Jerome speaks in this sense when he says that prophecy is the seal of the divine foreknowledge. Consequently, the same truth must needs be in prophetic knowledge and utterances as in the divine knowledge, under which nothing false could possibly come, as stated in the first part. Therefore, nothing false can come under prophecy, as God is a teacher guiding his students to accurately convey the truths that he has presented to them, preserved, given, and authorized by the Holy Spirit of God. So with all this in mind, let us stop and consider How much attention are we giving to the study of God's Word? Folks, understand, with with the increasing level of, of biblical illiteracy in our culture and times, it is so critically important that we emphasize and stress learning the truths of Scripture. Before we can come up with a systematic theology, we first need to know biblical theology because biblical theology flows out into systematic theology if it's done correctly. So it starts with understanding the scripture because if the Bible is God's word, then outside of our relationship with the Lord, nothing greater could be done than spending time investing ourselves in the in learning the scripture preaching, teaching and growing in the truths of the Word of God. Because if we don't, we will lose our foundation. We will lose our, our steadiness. The rock upon which we stand will still be there. but the problem is is we'll lose our balance. The problem's not going to be with God. <laughs> the problem's going to be with us. Let me close using this illustration. I recall one time hearing this story of this individual who was caught up in floodwaters. And uh, the, uh, the this guy came by on, on a uh, four-wheel, uh, excuse me, four-by-four truck, came by and says, Hey, it's flooding. You need to get out of here. Hop in the truck, and I'll take you to higher ground. And he says, No, I'm going to pray and ask God to save me from this flood. Well, the man prays, and, and, but as he does, the flood waters rise to the point that he has to go upstairs to the second floor of his house. By this time, the waters are so high that a person in a, in a motorboat comes by as the, after the man has prayed, God save me, spare me from this flood. A man comes by in a motorboat saying, hop on board and I'll take you to higher ground. And the man says, no, I'm waiting for God to save me. Eventually the floodwaters rise even higher and he's on the roof of his house. The waters have reached him now and they're almost at chest level and he's praying, God save me from this flood. About well, that time a helicopter comes by and they lower the they lower the lower ladder says, Hop aboard and we'll take you to higher ground. And the man says, No, I'm waiting for God to save me. After all of that, the helicopter left, the floodwaters rose, and the man drowned. When the man got to heaven, he asked God. He says, God, for three times I asked you to save me, and you never and you never did. And God said, you big dummy, I gave you three ways of escape, and you didn't take it. The point being is that God has given us everything that we need to live righteous lives before Him. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the, the ability to pray and seek Him out. And He has even given us His Word. He's given us the scripture, the Scripture itself, as the revelation of God, showing us the way in which we should live. We need to bask in the glory of God as we study and learn the Scripture. The Scripture is the revelation of God. Therefore, we need to take the truths found in Scripture seriously. Well, beloved, this is Dr. Brian Chilton. I hope you and pray that you've received a blessing uh, from tonight's podcast. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast, and we say God bless, and we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. God bless. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect those of Bellator Christian Ministries or its affiliates. This program is protected under Creative Commons Copyright, all rights reserved. If you enjoyed this podcast, then be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review. Also tell a friend. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas.